Well, it's a great pleasure to be able to inform you here today that no, in fact, a homeless man did not sneak into the sacristy before Mass and put on a chasuble. Uh, nor have I just come off of two months in the Bering Sea, a skipper of a crab boat. No, I am your pastor, Father Nick Blaha, and I'm here. Uh, thank you. And it's a great pleasure for me to be able to be with, your, with you here at last. After some time um, away during the, the weeks leading up to and following Father Mark's departure. So uh, before I begin today, I want to introduce a little custom that has been with me throughout my time as a, as a priest, my, my preaching. I've always invoked the presence of the angels and saints here in the church so as to hopefully make up for whatever is lacking in my preaching so that the Holy Spirit can do whatever it is that you need, whether or not I'm a part of that or part of that process. So, as the Catechism teaches us, at every Mass, the roof of the church opens up, and the angels and saints of heaven descend here, and we join them in the adoration of the Lamb before the throne. And so, I, I like to consciously just remind myself and everyone here that we're not alone. So, I do so by invoking our guardian angels. Every single one of us has one and the patron saints that we call upon. I say, guardian angels and patron saints, you say, pray for us. Let's try that. Guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. Though I should say, we already have a beautiful sign of the cloud of witnesses that St. Paul refers to in our second reading today in these, in these stained glass windows here. So um, it might be a little redundant, but I love seeing these very artful images which portray the Beatitudes in the lives of the saints in Thomas More appears to be Mary at the foot of the cross. I believe that's St. Francis de Sales, St. Martin de Porres. We have St. Peter, St. Francis, Mary and St. Anne, and I think that's St. Martin of Tours up front. So just a reminder, but we're not alone, and our prayers joined to theirs. I also want to just mention, so I, I published some notes about myself in the bulletin today, if you're interested in my background and where I've come from, that's available there. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that today. But if you're interested, you can find it there. Just two quick notes. I have connections to both Father Mark and to this particular set of parishes. So Father Mark, I remember when I was a little kid going to Holy Spirit Catholic School in Overland Park, which was my home parish. I remember this newly ordained priest coming to our parish. Glasses. He was already kind of balding then. <laughs> and had... Uh, just a vivid memory of, of his presence there. And it, it occurred to me just not too long ago that, whatever, 30 years ago, um, he was preaching and ministering to a boy there that would one day take his place at one of his parish assignments. And I think that's uh, something I bring up to remind all of us and hopefully to inspire some of those to whom I will be preaching and those who I will be serving here that uh, it's, a, it's a great life, and hopefully by our prayers, they would too would be inspired to respond to that call to priesthood, and that this chain of service would continue. I pray that that be the case, not just one, but many. The other connection I have here is, of course, uh, when I was in high school and college, my family actually used to come up to 22nd and Parallel, and we would attend Mass at Blessed Sacrament Church. 
So those of you that have been here for more than a few years might remember that at some point, the priestly fraternity of St. Peter had uh, used that church. They occupied it temporarily until they were able to find one of their own. And so my family, interested in the, uh, in the Latin Mass, we were going through a kind of a long process of coming back into the church, practice of the faith, discovering different aspects of the faith. And for a time, we were attending Mass there. And that was where I actually began to seriously discern um, a, a vocation to the priesthood. Father Philip Wolfe was there. And I remember being in that confessional and back and speaking with him about those possibilities seriously for the first time. And what a beautiful thing that uh, having given my life to the service of God and the church, that he brought me back to the very place where, in a sense, it all, it all started. So for me, even though this is all new, and you all are very new to me, I'm new to you, it does feel like coming home in a certain way. So it is at every Mass. We come home to this place where Christ is here with us and drawing us more deeply into these mysteries. I'm going to preach a little bit longer today. Well, this won't be always the case, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about our Gospel reading, and specifically uh, some of the ways in which I came to understand more deeply uh, what it is that the human person is all about during my studies this summer. I was away in Chicago finishing a, a second theology degree, particularly focusing on the theology of St. Thomas Aquinas, a medieval theologian whom I love, I love to study. The question that I took up in my writing and in my research was, what, what does St. Thomas, what does the church say the human being is? What am I? What, what are we? I remember reading in the Confessions of St. Augustine, a book written about 1,600 years ago, the first autobiography ever to be written, you could say. And he talks about how people go far and travel the world to marvel at the heights of mountains, the mighty waves of the sea, the long courses of great rivers, the vastness of the ocean, the movements of the stars, yet they leave themselves unnoticed. St. Augustine saw human beings as strange creatures, unique in the spectrum of all the things that God has made. We're strange because we're a kind of hybrid. Some of the creatures God made are pure spirits. We call those angels. Then the rest of those creatures are purely material. They're just bodies, animals, plants, rocks, nebulae. They don't have a spirit. But in between them, we have human beings. Only in the human race are spirit and matter united. By our souls, we're a spirit like the angels. By our bodies, we are things. We're matter like the rest of creation. Now, this is what makes us unique, and it's also what makes us difficult. We're this strange composite of things that don't normally go together. We don't follow the laws of nature like animals and plants do. I was watching a documentary last night about wolves and caribou in the Arctic. Wolves do what wolves do. Caribou do what caribou do. They go on and live their lives, and it, the sun shines, and the seasons change, and it all takes its course. But you introduce human beings into that picture, and suddenly 
What do you have? Disruption, problems, imbalances. This is because we have freedom. Freedom is a spiritual reality. And it's for the same reason, due to the effects of sin on our freedom, that we are so divided against ourselves. We do the things that we want to do, and we, excuse me, we do the things that we don't want to do. We do the things that we want to get rid of, and then we find ourselves unable to do the very things that we, that we most want. No caribou ever said, gosh, I wish I could be something more. Isn't there more to life? Now, this predicament that we're in, I believe St. Thomas, as a theologian, with great insight and drawing upon the riches of the church and ultimately the word of God, has a deeper insight into our situation than anyone else. I believe the church and the church alone has the fullest and most profound grasp of what it means to be a human being. That's not to say that we can't learn a great deal about ourselves from biology or psychology or brain science or politics or economics. All of these things give us insights and we should, we should study them. We should allow them to inform us. Always, however, with the recognition that these are limited. They don't get the whole picture. They don't go to the heart. Only the church's vision of the human being gets to the heart of the matter. And the reason for that, the reason the church grasps the whole is because the church knows what we're for. If you don't know what something is for, you don't know what it is, do you? You can't understand it. For instance, if I were to go to some remote Pacific island, there's no electricity, and they'd never seen one of these, and I were to hand them this little black object, what would they conclude? It's sort of a bad mirror. I can, it's heavy. I can hold things, light things down with it. I might be able to break open a coconut with it, but if I tried that, I probably wouldn't have a very well-open coconut and I'd have a broken phone. Right? If I don't know that this is for checking my email, talking on the phone, sending messages, keeping track of my budgets, I can't use it well. I don't know what it is. I don't know what something is for, and therefore I will not use it. The same is true of us. The same truth is applicable to your life and to mine. If I'm, if I'm not certain what it is that I'm for, I'm going to allow myself and I'm going to use myself wrongly. I will be dedicated to something other than what I truly am. am. What then are we for? Biology, politics, economics all offer partial answers to that question, but only the church grasps the whole because the church is informed by the word of God. And the word of God made us to be what we are. And in the word of God we find this truth. You are made and I am made to make a gift of ourselves according to the pattern of Jesus Christ. He who saves his life will lose it. And the one who loses his life for my sake will save it. 
This is the fire that Jesus came to light in every human heart. A fire that sets us on a flame in such a way that we become too hot to handle. I can't hold on to myself, and so I have to, I have to give myself away. A fire that burns in love, love for God, love for neighbor, such that I give myself away. A fire that drives me to give myself away in faithfulness to my vocation as a, uh, as a married person or as a priest or religious. A fire that drives me to give my life away by bearing witness to the message of divine mercy and the call to repentance in word and in example. A fire that drives me to give my life away by, by paying attention to the people in my life, noticing who they are and what they need and trying to, trying to serve that, and putting that good even before my own. All the thousand ways, the hidden sacrifices that we make to put the good of others before our eyes every day. This is our purpose. How he wishes it were already blazing in us. And this is what sets us apart from those who do not know what a human being is for. This is the source of the division in the human race that our Lord refers to in the gospel today. Either one knows what a human being is for and strives to live that out, and when failing to live that out, by the grace of God, picks themselves back up again and starts over, or one does not do those things. St. Augustine, again, writing 1,600 years ago, said, the whole human race falls into two kingdoms. Every single person is one or the other, either a member of the kingdom of God or a member of the kingdom of man. What I find so interesting about that is, is that he says it's, it's not what you would think what defines that division. You and I might naturally think, well, the kingdom of God is made up of those who are holy, and the kingdom of man is made up of those who are unholy. The saints are in God's kingdom. The sinners are in man's kingdom. But that's not what St. Augustine says. St. Augustine says what divides them are their loves, what they love. The kingdom of God is made up of those who love God so much that they forget themselves. The kingdom of man is made up of those who love themselves so much that they forget God. That basic division spans the entire human race. And I think also explains these puzzling repetitions why does Jesus say a father will be divided against his son and a son will be divided against his father? Okay, well, isn't that kind of implied? He's saying it will not always be a one-way street. And age has nothing to do with it. It might be that a father will, will have grounded his life in the reality of of Jesus Christ and conform his life to that pattern and his son will conform his life to another pattern but it might be the reverse the son might be the one who conforms his life to the pattern of Jesus Christ as it's revealed to us through the preaching and the sacraments of the church and the father might be the one conformed to something else you see it's it can happen at any point in your life
And so, at the beginning of my ministry here as the pastor of these parishes, I think, I think it's important for us to get on the same page. This is what we're about. But in order for this to work, we have to trust. We have to trust one another. The pastor has to trust his people, and, his pe- and the people have to trust their pastor. And sadly, the church has lost the trust of its people in many ways. Thanks be to God, my, my sense is that there's been a good relationship of trust here with Father Mark, but we're also part of a larger reality. So, my invitation here today, two promises. My promise to you, and I ask a promise from you to me in return. My promise to you is that, first, I will not take your trust for granted. I know that I need to earn that. And so I need to listen and be patient and allow this community to tell me what it needs and hopefully be able to respond to that with prudence and wisdom. But I also will carry that out in my preaching and in my teaching and my service and my ministry, the Catholic faith, the deposit of faith, nothing more nothing less. And I promise that my, my opinions, my, my own personal preferences, and my own judgments will never take precedence over that. Now, in return, I ask a promise of you. I can't demand that. But I ask that you promise to keep in mind that eight years ago, when I, before I was ordained a priest, I had to take an oath. I had to put my hand on the book of the Gospels and say, I swear to God that I believe the creed. I believe everything contained in the word of God. I believe everything that the church teaches, the tradition of the church and faith and morals. I believe all of those things, all of them. And that I was given a charge and that I swore that in the name of the church, I would hold fast to that faith in its entirety, faithfully hand it on and explain it, and avoid any teachings contrary to that faith. I swore to God. I also swore that I would follow and foster the common discipline of the entire church and maintain the observance of all ecclesiastical laws, especially those contained in the Code of Canon Law. All of that's to say... I ask that you keep in mind that even though I'm here as a pastor and a shepherd, I am also a sheep. I'm also a passenger on the boat. What a tragic thing, then, for the people to be saved, but the priest to be lost. I, too, will be judged. I, too, have responsibilities that I must discharge and duties in the midst of that. However, all of that that I said, I swore I would do on my ordination day and everything that I continue to do and believe in the same way that I did then, I did it not because that was what I had to do in order to get ordained, but because I truly did believe it and that all of the fullness of our Catholic life 
or sacramental life or worship and liturgy or traditions and prayer or service of the poor, all the characteristics of what makes, it like, what makes our faith truly Catholic, even some of the things that we don't understand and can't grasp and don't make sense to us and actually bother us, all of that is at the service of making sure that the Jesus I follow is not the Jesus of my own wishful thinking. That it's truly him that I follow. And that my life is truly conformed to that pattern. Because this, this, the, the work of the church in our time and in every time is to point us towards this mystery of God that we bow and kneel before here today and every day. And to help us to be familiar with the mystery of this redemption taking place in our, in our lives, in our communities, in this church, in Christ Jesus, in every single day. So that together, a fire would be kindled here, giving us such a, a heat of love that we cannot hold on to our lives, desiring to lose them so that in giving them to God, they may be saved. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.